This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. This is a special on disability in football from accessibility and catering for fans to playing and inclusion and working in the game. Why isn't it spoken about a lot? Is it because there isn't really a culture war around disability? It feels like everyone believes disabled people should be able to attend and play football and work in the industry. But for that reason, not enough of us talk about it or fight for it. On today's pod, we're going to speak to a number of fans and people in the game, some of whom live with a variety of disabilities that have affected their relationship with football. And we'll hear about some of the good things clubs are doing. We just want to hear their experiences and find out what able-bodied fans can do to be an ally. This is the Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel for the duration, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi, Max. Also here, Jordan jarrett Brian. Hey, Jordan. Morning, mate. You are right. I'm very good. And uh, Jordan, you have a prosthetic leg. Um, I had no idea until about a year ago. Um, <laughs> yes. Can I can I ask how how, how come? Is that a, is that a polite? It's not a polite question. I've never asked you before, but it seems <laughs> relevant for today. It's it's totally relevant. So yeah, I I'm a below the knee amputee. I was born with a deformed right foot, and at the age of 18 months, I had it amputated yeah, from the ankle down. So I've had prosthetic legs since I was, yeah, a year and a half. This is the second revelation in as many weeks from Jordan <laughs> after the Brian G is my father. <laughs> I'm a humble guy. Who man. knows I'm what's like, next? Tony Taylor joins us. He's the chair of Level Playing Field. Tony, thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Good to be here. Tell us who Level Playing Field are and what they do. Okay, well, Level Playing Field is a uh, registered charity uh, and we campaign for accessibility at sports events, not just football, but uh, rugby, horse racing and so on. But football is uh, where we have our roots. We've been uh, around for uh, over 25 years now and uh, campaign with clubs, with governing bodies, with government, I've got to say, as as well, uh, and and really try to uh, set the scene so that Sports fans can, and you know, disabled sports fans can get into uh, to watch the, the the team that they they love, and there are still 
an awful lot of barriers that uh, are there in front of uh, uh, you know people like me who have a disability. And uh, you know, it's there's a lot of work to be done, but there's a lot of progress that's being made. Can I ask what your disability is? Yeah, I, I came to uh, disability later in life. I, I you know, I was I was quite a fit uh, guy. I was I was in the army, but then uh, I ended up having a car crash and I broke my neck and uh, I lost uh, lost uh, the lower limb mobility. So uh, I, I I'm pr- mainly a wheelchair user, but not you know I'm one of these guys who uh, can get up at a football match out of my wheelchair and stand up, and everyone looks around saying, you know, it's a miracle he's you know, he's cured or <laughs> He's cheating the system or whatever. You know, I I I, I use crutches or or wheelchairs. So it's it's uh, that that you know it does. You know, we laugh about it, but sometimes you do get that sort of reaction from people that you know you're really fiddling the system just to get that parking space close to the front door. Right. Um, uh, also <laughs> with us, Dan Cook for this part, a host of uh, HLTCO Palace podcast and HLTCO Football podcast, which stands for Hopkin Looking to Curl One. Dan, I've been watching. David Hopkins' 1997 uh, playoff final last-minute winner. It's a great strike, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, it's a fantastic goal. And when I was trying to come up with a name for the, the Twitter page and the podcast, etc., it just felt like an iconic bit of commentary from Palace history. So, yeah, it fits very well. Um, you have cerebral palsy. There'll be people listening who might have an idea what that is but aren't totally sure. Can you explain it? So it's a disability that has quite a wide range to it. You can be wheelchair bound and unable to walk, or you can be like me and have it in a a more mild sense. You know, I'm able-bodied to the sort of untrained eye, I suppose you would say. You know, I can drive a car and and get myself about uh, with relative ease, but it it comes with specific issues in terms of balance and fine motor skills. And and with that in mind, you know, things like playing football as, as a young kid were difficult for me, but I've sort of channeled my love of the sport into talking about it on a podcast and on Twitter, etc. So yeah, it's, as I say, I wouldn't want to talk for everybody with cerebral palsy because it's quite a wide ranging thing. Uh, but for me, it's something that does hold me back in certain ways, but not in others. And actually, that's, that's quite an interesting part of, of doing this podcast, Tony, is disability is such a broad word for so many different conditions, isn't it? You're right. And, you know, what, what, that's one of the uh, uh, main tasks that we've set ourselves as uh, as an organisation over the last few years and are moving ahead. I mean, if you, you, you talk about disability, people see that symbol on the, on the blue badge and it's, it, you know, they see a wheelchair. And that's, you know, the nine, I, I reckon if you ask 99 out of 100 people what they think disability is, they'll say it's somebody who's a wheelchair user and that's it. You know, they, they forget the there are people who've got neurodiverse issues, there are mental health issues. There are people like me who are uh, have have limited mobility, but uh, can get around. You, know, I've seen so many examples of, of clubs where uh, somebody's been attending and they've been they've been wobbling around as they've been moving in the queue, and they've been taken aside because they've been accused of being drunk. And they're not drunk; they've got they've got a, a mobility issue that make, makes them swagger. So one of the uh, big efforts that we've we've made is to work on training with with stewards to make sure that they can recognize as best as they can. I mean, we're not asking stewards to be medical professionals, but we're just asking that they use a bit of common sense when they they see this sort of situation and, and think, you know, Maybe that person does have a disability that we need to need to be need to be aware of and and approach it in a, in a different way. But we've we've seen 
a lot of really positive work at uh, at clubs in terms of the the provisions for uh, a wide range of disabilities. So we've got uh, uh, sensory rooms at, at uh, football clubs where people with neurodiverse issues can go, which you know that, that's phenomenal. Changing places rooms at uh, at, at, at clubs. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, can you imagine going to a football club and a football match and just not being able to use the loo because the facilities aren't there? You know, basic, you know, it's not a human, right? It's a human need. And you know, it, suddenly we're seeing that come in. We're seeing so many things. And it's not just at the, the big clubs in the Premier, Premier League. It's right the way down the, uh, the football pyramid. So, for instance, you have audio descriptive uh, commentaries at, uh, at Arsenal. You've got the same thing at Wrexham as well. So it, it, it's the spread of those uh, facilities covering multiple disabilities. And let's not forget, I'm going to be brief. I, I know I waffle. That one in four of our population in the UK are affected in one way or another or associated in one way or another with people with disabilities. That's a huge minority. And it's it's a it's a big thing that we need to, uh, to resolve. Tony, you spoke there about trying to educate, say, stewards at at matches do do you approach clubs or do the clubs approach you a bit of both uh, we i mean we we work for, uh, very closely with the with the governing body so we talk to the the uh, the EFL and we talk to the the premier league and they encourage their clubs to uh, to work with us i mean we're not the only people in in the world who who can provide uh, uh, equality and diversity uh, training but you know we're pretty much experts i think when it comes to to disability uh, so you know that it you know to answer your question, both of the both those those approaches uh, happen, but we're we're very proactive in in doing it. Very very important that we uh, we get that sort of approach. I think Tony's initial point there about understanding that the wide range of disabilities is really key as well. I, I was invited to do a talk at St Mary's University a few weeks ago about the crossover between disability and, and the media industry. And I used a phrase which I'm kind of hanging on to now, which is called my invisible privilege. And I mentioned at the top there that I have a disability that is not seen and obvious. And Matt, you said yourself, you didn't know until, well, I don't know how you, did I tell you or you might have heard from somebody else. I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. Mo- most people don't know and, and why would they and what I what I often do is I'm if I'm in circles where I hear people talk about people with disabilities and sometimes in quite negative ways and because they don't know that I'm disabled I use that knowledge to inform how I can try to make things better so I call it an invisible privilege because I can be in certain rooms that someone with a dis- with a more obvious one can't be in the reason why I rate this podcast, Max, and yourself and Barry and, and producer Joe is because you do tackle these issues and we're all football fans. And the same way you may invite, say, Salon on to talk about sexism in football or me or Troy, racism in football or um, Nikki to talk about LGBTQ issues. Disabled people, I think, need to be included as well because we love football as well. We're not talking about De Bruyne's curler or a combined hate of Spurs or bashing referees. We love sport too. And I think the perspective you get from people with disabilities is also worth including because I'm a man, I'm also black, I'm also a disabled person, and I'm also a football fan. I'm all of these things. And I think that it's really important that we have these sorts of discussions to kind of get the experiences of everyone, be it fans, administrators, or members of the media with disabilities. Dan, can I ask you about your experiences growing up? You mentioned there sort of you know, channeling your interest because playing was was difficult. And I think about growing up, I'm 43, and I've talked about this in terms of when we talked about homophobia, right? 
I never heard racist language, but my school was full of casual homophobia all the time. I'd have called people gay. And in the same with disability, I'd have used words for people who were, you know, who missed a shot. I'd have used pretty offensive words for disability. And I wonder if you experienced that growing up, you're a bit younger than me, and how it has changed over the years. I think it's funny, you know, in a sense, because my experience of it was always that people use those sort of words. I won't call them out on this podcast because I don't want to give air to the words themselves, but we all know what they are. But they use them in a throwaway fashion often without wanting to be too offensive. It's almost like something that's just part of the sort of cultural way that the country works. But I found that, you know, especially in high school, because I had a group of friends that were all into football, it was like my presence within that social circle made them more aware of the issues that come with using words like that. So then they almost took it upon themselves to police their own language and sort of call out anyone else that would use it because of of their knowledge of me and, and my own struggles with it. I don't, I, mean, I know some people don't like using the word struggles. I do because I see it as a way of sort of striving against the stereotypes that can be placed on you. But I do think often it's a case of showing people that you are just like them because, you know, as has already been said this morning, you can look at a disabled badge with a wheelchair and it's a very catch all thing, but there are all sorts of different aspects to it that can be sort of taken into account once it's placed in front of you. And I think, you know, I'm not under any illusions about the fact those words still get used, but I think the more people that are open and honest about their disabilities, it sort of gives people a window into the difficulties that people can have and then stops them from wanting to use those words. Is, is that part of the reason, Dan, why you, I, I don't know what the right way to articulate this, you, you you built up your social media following, you built this podcast without anybody knowing that you had cerebral palsy. And very recently, you sort of opened up and, and talked about it. What was the sort of rationale behind that? Well, so from my point of view, what I never wanted, because and I've, I've spoken about this on the podcast and on YouTube since I decided to tell people I've got what I've got, is that throughout my school life, it was almost a case of if you become rich and famous or you become a famous musician, you're not sure if the attention you're getting is because you're famous or because of the content of your music or your films or whatever. And what I never wanted was for people to be sympathetic towards me because I was a disabled football fan on Twitter. I just wanted my opinions to be given the level of respect they would be given if I was just any man off the street. So having built a reasonable following on social media and at a point in my life where I've now got a wife, a house, child, etc., I just sort of thought, well, I'm comfortable enough on my own skin now to let people know what I've got. And with that, I've sort of got the the backing in my own sort of core to know that the the following that I've built is, is solid because of my opinions on football and not because I'm riding the coattails of any sort of sympathy that might come with being a disabled football fan. It's in, it's important now, Tony, I think, to say the, the, the kind of the reason, the, the catalyst for this podcast happening is because when we did the World Cup final, we crossed to Barney, who was at the stadium, and we actually, we recorded that like an hour after the game had finished and the stadium was empty, but the music was blaring. So he jumped into a disabled toilet to do a report. Listeners would have heard it right at the top of the podcast, so it would sound like the stadium was still full. I'm not using that as an excuse for you know him jumping into that toilet but and I and I actually said oh look Barney's in a disabled toilet and 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 genuinely I probably I didn't need to say that and I almost said it in a sort of to add a bit you know to add a bit of humor is the wrong word but like I didn't see it as a problem and then you guys got in touch with us and said look this is a this is a real issue here because 
you know, if you're not disabled, don't go into an accessible toilet. And 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 actually, my first reaction was, God, like we've done so much on human rights on all these things at the World Cup, that, you know. And and I was sort of a bit pissed off. And then I actually sort of thought about it and thought, hang on, if this had been discriminatory towards anything else, it was more my flippant use of the language, I think, than than anything. If that had been sort of something like homophobic or racist or anything, I wouldn't have said it. The producer wouldn't have let it through. The exec producer wouldn't have let it through. And it's kind of a a sign of what you are battling with in terms of, um, I don't know if, if if ranking these things is important, but but you take my point, it's in kind of the importance that people place on it. I, I do, yeah, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, we, I mean, I'm not going to bore people with the legal stuff, but I mean, we we are, we're all dealing with protected characteristics under the the Equality Act, and you know, all of those protected characteristics, whether it's race, whether it's disability, uh, homophobia, whatever, they're all supposed to be equal. But the reality is, I think we all know that there is a, a bit of a league table for protected characteristics. And that's one of the things we, we have to battle out. I mean, you know, we're talking about people uh, declaring their, their disability. There's, there's probably an awful lot of football fans who are disabled, who don't let anybody know that they're, that they're disabled at the club and don't seek out uh, the support and assistance that they might get at the football club that they, they'd be entitled to because they're worried about the, the stigma that's still attached to, to disability, which, you know, we're in the 21st century, for heaven's sake. That, that's a, a horrible situation that we, we find ourselves in. So, you know, making sure that we get the the, the, the language, right, the, the sort of disability etiquette, I think is quite quite important. But it's also really important that when we're talking about disabled facilities, that they are not abused in any way, because it's, you know, it, it's it's the usual thing. We, we've all experienced it, I think, when we, we're going for a, a, a blue badge space at the supermarket, it's not available, and somebody just says, it's all right, mate, I'm only going to be five minutes. Well, it, it's not all right, you know, because it might only be five minutes for you, but it's probably the one chance I get to get out and get to get, get a space to go and do my weekly shopping. So, these things are, are really important. I think disabled people and their issues um, are, are discussed the least. And I don't understand why, considering so how, how many people in this country have a disability or an experience of, of, of a disability as well. Um, and I think that that needs to be addressed. And I think you see this in the campaigns we see in football. We see footballers talk about racism. We see them talk about homophobia. We see campaigns around, you know, sexism with women. I can't think of a campaign with any high-profile footballers that have, that have discussed the experience of disabled football fans. Yeah, I mean, the one point I, I, I wanted to make is when, when you look at all of those protected characteristics, they can all be a, a, a adjusted or changed or influenced by hearts and minds policy. When you come to disability it's normally involving capital expenditure. So the, if you're looking at a, a, a football club and you're talking about, you know, you need to change things for your access for your disabled fans, it's going to cost money. It's not just a, 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 a statement or, a, you know, a, trying to influence people the, the right way. You've got to spend pounds, shillings and pence to get uh, get changes. And that, that I think, is, a, a, is an issue that is, is probably... One of the reasons why disability isn't right at the forefront, well, it, and it should be with with so many so many people in our society associated with it. Do you think as well, Dan, that that part of it is because, like I said in the intro, it's not part of a culture war. Like everybody, if you stopped anybody, no, everybody would agree that disabled people should have access and and equal opportunities and all those things. So they, everyone's sort of on the same page, but it, that kind of means that people don't get angry about it like perhaps they should no i i often think i mean talking about 
alcohol and football are sort of synonymous with each other in this country, as far as I'm concerned. And I have turned up at different games over the last 25 years on numerous occasions. And it's not necessarily that you'll get stopped by a steward or told that you, you know, have to leave, but you will get a situation where they look at you a bit sort of side-eye and think, is he all right? Is he had too much? And then you end up in a situation where you're having to justify yourself, where you're just trying to go about your day. And that is a very frustrating thing to to sort of contemplate on a week-by-week -week basis because all I want as a, as a normal guy that enjoys going to watch his team play is to just not forget about my disability because you can't ever do that fully, but just sort of suspend it for a couple of hours and just enjoy the game for what it is. But you're constantly at the risk of, of judgment, I suppose, by other people because of their preconceptions about what my stance or my gait when I'm walking might look like. And that is... It, it just has to be there in the back of your mind all the time. And it would be nice to think that there was, you know, the forethought from those people to think, actually, maybe it's not alcohol related and maybe it is disabled, you know. Can I ask, and, and apologies if this is a dumb question, but are football clubs and, and other sporting venues are legally obliged to lay on uh, facilities for disabled people? The short answer is yes, they are. I mean, the, the Equality Act applies to football clubs as much as it applies to anybody else, and they are required to make uh, reasonable adjustments. Now, the problem with that is, and it becomes quite technical, is that nobody has really challenged a football club to the, the full extent in a, in a court to, in, in terms of what a reasonable adjustment actually is. It's, it's, it's quite uh, vague, uh, vague wording in, in the Equality Act. So, so yes, they are obliged. We, we, uh, uh, we have an accessible stager guide in, uh, for, for, for stager where a certain amount of uh, 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 provision is, uh, is mandated in terms of the, the guide. But at the moment, it's guidelines. So it's not, uh, that's not specifically mandatory. And that is something that we really are pushing that uh, you know, the, the, particularly the Premier League and the EFL bring that into their rule book as a condition because we know fine well if you put it in as a condition, clubs will suddenly find the money to do the the, the work that, that that's needed or the training that's needed. It it'll be it'll be there. Finally, before we end part one, Tony, I just wonder just one quick thing for all the listeners. Yes, most able-bodied. Like, what is the thing that they should take away from listening to this and how they should be at football and what they can do to be an ally for people who are disabled? I th uh, well, you know that that's a really good point because one of the one of the uh, bits of feedback that we get uh, uh, from from disabled fans is that quite often the the problem doesn't rest with the club or the governing body or whatever. Sometimes it's just other fans who just are plain inconsiderate. You know, a number of times I've, you know, I've nearly been turfed out of my wheel wheelchair by people barging past because they just don't pay attention to the fact that, that, that I'm there and that just take your time and think about the fact that, you know, the person in front of you might well be disabled and exercise a bit of caution. And the only other thing I really would say is that in, in terms of uh, the general issues, the you know uh, transport to and from football is so important. You know, it's not just when you get to the stadium; it's getting there. So we need more step-free uh, uh, stations. You know, if you go to uh, uh, watch some clubs, you just can't get off the train near, nearby. You've got to, you've got a thirty-minute uh, walk or wheel to to get there. That's crazy. And you know, we need we need those sort of changes, and people need to push their politicians to make sure that that happens as well. Tony, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Dan, like one important part of this, right, and we've done this with other parts, is to, to increase our representation on our pod. So like, if you 
could would be interested in coming on to just talk about football i mean feel free to say no i don't like this part i don't want it but like if you would at some point we'd really appreciate that absolutely yeah i'd be more than happy to come on I'm a regular listener i don't hate the pod i, I can categorically tell you that. <laughs> uh, good man we'll make that happen cheers dan thanks for your time no, as well Thank you. Um, Dan Cook and uh, Tony Taylor there. In part two, we'll look at a couple of examples of what football clubs are doing uh, to help disabled people. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right <laughs> Hold now. it in. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, uh, a special on disability within football. Um, we had so many people get in touch about good things that clubs are doing. It was an impossible uh, decision of who to ask to come on. Uh, it's not part of an agenda against Arsenal or anything like that. Um, but I'm really pleased to say that uh, Sam Brooker joins us, coach from Brighton Hove Albion's charity Albion in the community. Hey, Sam. Hi there. And also Terry Ritchie, diversity and inclusion officer at Liverpool. Hi, Terry. Hi, okay. Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, Sam, tell us how you got involved with the charity and some of the work that, that you guys are doing. Uh, well, basically, uh, back in t- t- 2012, um, I had a car accident, um, which resulted in a spinal injury, um, which has left me with permanent nerve damage in my lower back and both legs. Um and after a few years of sort of hitting a low point mental health wise, um, a nurse at a hospital told me about uh, Albion in the community, um, at which point I'd sort of given up my, my dream of playing football and um, being involved in the game. From there, I've got in touch with Albion in the community, pretty much heard straight back from one of the coaches there. And within a couple of weeks, I was, I'd, I'd headed down to one of their sessions um, at which point I was on two crutches because um, that was my own only way of mobility-wise. Carried on with playing with, started playing with them, and sort of through the years I've fell back in love with football. Um, my abilities improved, and I've also got my level one coaching badge. Um, looking to work towards level two, um, got involved coaching with them. Uh, yeah, they've just been so supportive. Um, throughout everything really is it possible to articulate sort of how how important that has been for you and and your life 
Oh yeah. Uh, well, uh, sort of at, you know, th- at the age of twenty-five, um, to suddenly have sort of my full mobility taken away from me was a massive shock, which I can imagine if, you know everyone would would feel the same. So to and you know I played football from the age of two or three and was a very you know pretty good player, um, played sort of good county level, um, and then to like I say at 25 have that sort of gone taken away from me it was you know it was, it was really hard to deal with um, but then to realize that actually no just because I've now become um, disabled um, and have a disability doesn't mean that I cannot be involved in the game and play the game so just for, for like, like I say for mental health wise it's it's got me back out there it's got me back into social circles it's got me playing the game watching the game, coaching the game. Yeah, Albion and the community have just just helped with all of that. Terry, you're a diversity and inclusion officer at Liverpool. Can you explain what that exactly means? Um, yeah, so um, I oversee all of our kind of uh, provision and programmes and strategy around um, being as inclusive uh, and equitable as possible uh, as the club's official charity. Um, so we oversee our disability programme, um, our SEM programmes within schools, um, and anything around any of the protected characteristics uh, across the foundation, basically. So whether that's delivering programmes to participants in the community, um, whether that's um, sort of trying to get more coaches into the game um, or whether that's um, kind of working with staff in terms of ensuring that we can deliver training and all that sort of stuff around inclusion and diversity. I just wanted to tell you if Sam's story echoes with some of the experiences of some of the things that you've seen. Yes, absolutely. So we have got um, a number, our, our disability programme has been going for around 14 years now. Um, and a lot of participants that, that have come through there have been uh, still coming now, but a few have made the step into coaching as well. Um, we are just currently doing kind of like a coaching academy and getting disabled uh, participants who want to be coaches into that. Um, so we have had um, similar things in terms of participants coming in, wanting somewhere to play football in an accessible and inclusive environment. And have then made the step into being a coach as well. But we're there to kind of support people through their, their journey, whether they've acquired a disability or at their first kind of point as, as attending um, a session with their parents, carers or guardians. And Sam, I think... It- it's interesting on this pod, we've had various, um, for example, Jordan Bourne was born with a disability. It, it, um, it's the right term, acquired. I, I don't know what the right word is, Sam, but I wondered if, 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 if how, obviously you, you're dealing with that shock, but do you think back to how you viewed disability before it had happened to you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's um, definitely opened my eyes big time um, to sort of the way that sort of the looks that I get that I think back that, you know, if I'm going to be honest, I probably gave them sort of looks myself when I was younger um, because, I you know, I, I I wasn't as educated around disability as I am now. I walk around with, with a crutch um, and the first question that I get asked is, what's wrong with your leg or have you broken your leg? Um, and then when I tell, you know, I have to turn around and say, no, it's not. I've actually got uh, a spinal injury Um which I have a device in my back and wires in my mm. spine to help with pain management. Um, but definitely, it's definitely opened my eyes with the, the way that I view disability now um, to probably what I viewed it before, um, which I think comes from sort of being at school. I don't think there's enough education around disabilities um, and, and you, know, you, you just don't, 
well when I was back at school you don't you, you don't hear about you know that the wide spectrum of disability that there are um, and you know that the spectrum is so big that so you know for cerebral palsy that you know there's it, it can be a, a massive massive impact on their life or it could be just a slight impact on their life but it's still an impact um, and obviously it's still something that they have to deal with um, but yeah I think it's definitely opened my eyes with what disability and how disability is looked upon, um, especially even more so now within football. We know that one in four people have a disability or will know someone close to them with a disability. I'm just wondering, is there much buy-in from the Liverpool players? Because the chances are that they will have somebody in their families or some experience of it. Do you get much buy-in from the players to talk about these sorts of things? And is there a lot of support from, from the players for what the work you do? Um, it's not a conversation I've had personally, um, just because we sit within, I sit within the foundation, but we do have um, sort of sessions, programs, festivals, events and stuff where whenever we can try and get sort of players from the men's and women's team down, they're very, very supportive in terms of supporting our, our participants um, in terms of them being quite excited to have them at sessions. So they're very supportive um, in terms of when we can have them at sessions and events and things, uh, which has been massive to our participants and sort of being able to see the players firsthand and show them their kind of own football skills and abilities and that sort of stuff and talk about their own journey as well. So it's always quite nice to have. I guess an important part of, of this and just thinking about people listening is sort of what, what um, able-bodied fans or fans who don't think about this generally can do to help. I mean, I guess, Terry, you are looking... Are you, are you looking for people to volunteer to like to join the foundation to support the foundation and I presume that would be for clubs up and down the country or to take a really active role in in, in helping yeah so um sort of one of the main points uh, for us is trying to get more participants whether they're um, adult or children uh, into our sessions um we also are always looking for volunteers who are disabled and non-disabled to help on all of our programs uh, with also a step then into our workforce and possibly becoming coaches and gaining training and qualifications and stuff with us so that's kind of our, our main aims in terms of supporting the communities across Liverpool um, wherever we can, because we are aware that obviously more disabled people do want to participate in sport. Um, we have football sessions, but we have also non-football sessions that you can participate with like, your, sort of your families and carers and stuff like that. So we want to be um, sort of there for as many people as we can um, to support them through through their own little journey in terms of um, getting into, into, for, into football and to sport as well. And Sam, what would you say to... Any people listening to this pod, and we've had lots of people get in touch, you know, who have a disability about who perhaps, you know, aren't involved or haven't sought to, to get involved in their, their local community foundation, wherever that may be. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it, it can be quite scary. Um, it definitely was when I started, especially because sort of, um, like I say, I, I, I became disabled. I wasn't born disabled. Um you know, I sort of went to the session and was really, you know, really nervous, really anxious, thinking, you know, what's what's everyone going to think? What you know, am I going to be able to play with these people? Am I going to be able to do anything? Um, and I think these, the, the, you know, the the foundations and the clubs and charities all over the country are all going to be so welcoming to anyone that comes along. I think the the main aim for everyone is just to get these people involved. Um, because the the gains that people can have from being involved just you know both physically and mentally are extraordinary and that initial initial push to get to a session maybe or to to get in contact with your local foundation or community um, is going to be tough but 
it's definitely something that I would recommend. Would you agree with that, Terry? Like the first going the first time is the hardest bit. Yeah, absolutely. We we've um, worked with quite a lot of families, but also adults as well. Who that the hardest part is sort of making that initial contact, and that could be based on a previous experience that they've not felt welcomed or they've not felt included in sort of wherever they've been. Um, so it's that initial contact, but also that kind of anxiety as well about whether this is the place for me. So we're there to support them. Um, we're there to kind of offer them more than one opportunity. Like we could offer them a session and then they'd rather go to a different one. So it's about working with that person. It's that person-centered approach to ensure that everyone feels included in whatever what they want to do, because football, as they say, is for everybody. Um, and it's about giving that everyone that opportunity to be part of their community, to be part of their club and their foundation, um, to kind of share that love for the game, really. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It, 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 it's been great. Um, Terry, uh, Terry Ritchie from Liverpool uh, Foundation, thank you. Thank you very much. And Sam Brooker, uh, uh, coach at Brighton Hope Albion's charity at Albion in the community. Sam, thank you so much for sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, that'll do for part two. In part three, uh, we'll look at uh, representation in the media. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Bry here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly, a special on uh, disability in football, and we're going to talk about media representation. Uh, joining us for this, uh, Manny Jasmine works for the BBC, presenter of World Football on the World Service, and is uh, blind. Manny, welcome. Hello, Max. We go back a long way, Manny. We should we do. say we've 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 known each other for about three hundred years, but this is the first time, as far as I can remember, that we've actually worked together. We've ever spoken professionally um let me introduce other guests manny before you and i just take over talking about the glory days in cambridge <laughs> in the late 90s um rolf shutan is part of ee and bt sports new signing series and is deaf and is speaking to us via a british sign language interpreter on zoom so i presume i don't know how often this has been done on a podcast before but uh, rolf thanks so much for coming on today thank you very much it's a uh, it's a pleasure thank you for having me Manny, I'll come to you first. And I remember years ago when we were both starting out in this ridiculous industry, thinking, wow, to be blind and to become a football reporter is a bold and ambitious choice. Yeah. Um, and people still think that. Uh, in fact, other blind people <laughs> in the BBC have thought that. And uh, the next thought after that is that it'll never happen. Yeah. I mean, that you know, you've, there's certain things I can't do. I think it would be um, slightly disingenuous if I commentated on matches and just guessed what was happening. 
um uh, but uh, you know this that isn't the only thing um that reporters do obviously i mean you know this is a, a podcast uh, on the guardian website there's no commentary on the guardian so there are there are very many different ways of covering football um but um i mean sight is certainly an advantage that's for sure um but it's not a barrier to not have it yeah so how did you how did you get to where you got to well uh i always wanted um to work in sports and um i um i started freelancing uh, at Radio 4, another of the domestic radio stations here, on a programme that was uh, for blind and partially sighted people. And I always told myself that I would never work for that programme. I thought that would be the ultimate pigeonholing. But an opportunity came up. Um, actually, it was uh, to do with they, they wanted me to do a report about um, uh, disabled uh, or at least blind fans uh, of football matches. And uh, I had just about enough wit to realise that this was a really, really good chance of getting in. Uh, and it was proof that if you have a specialist knowledge uh, of anything, then you ought to exploit it as much as you can. So I did that report and I freelanced there for 10 years as well as other places. And that, that's how I got into, into sport partly um, because, you know, I was in the uh, uh, metaphorical building of the BBC, although um, sport and Radio 4 were in different buildings <laughs> physically. Uh, we The sport relocated to uh, Manchester in 2011. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I was thinking about maybe teaching or, I mean, I was I had no idea. And then uh, one morning at five o'clock when I went in to do a shift, somebody said to me that a guy I, I vaguely knew uh, was becoming the assistant editor. So I sent him a CV and we had a chat. And um, he um, didn't have the authority to say, it, but he said, oh, yeah, come up, come up. So, so I went up and that was uh, 11 years ago. And I've been there ever since. Um, and just coincidentally, uh, he went to the same school as we did, Max. That's how incestuous the uh, Hills Road Mafia is. Right. <laughs> it's not what you know, is it? It's not it what you me. know, is it? <laughs> you're, a ch you're just a chancer like me um rolf you're rolf you're part of a, a program on bt sport to have the channel's first deaf presenters tell us a bit about it yeah sure um i mean i have to say uh for me uh you know i'd been i'd just been told that this was uh, an opportunity that was available uh by friends of mine um uh and um, what what basically uh, we had to do was uh, send in a two minute clip talking about our most vivid football memory. So I sent that in uh, and then was invited to audition and casting. Uh, Adrian, who's my interpreter now, uh, was also the interpreter on the day. Um, and I have to say, yeah, it was it was amazing to, to see how he was able to interpret what I was saying, the, the punditry that I was doing um, in that moment. So we had to um, simulate a, a, a live commentary uh, environment and commentate on an actual football moment. Um, and then uh, and, and, and kind of add the flavours to that with with our with our football knowledge. Um, and then as a result of that, I was cast. I mean, myself, I don't come from a, a traditional media background, uh, so I don't have that. I don't have that expertise. But what's what's very clear is um, that BT and uh, BT Sport and uh, EE as well for them, um, their experience of working with deaf people is 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 limited, and so this is new ground for both for for all of us. 
Um, and, and what I'm enjoying about this process is the, the, the collaborative nature that, um, that, that, we're, that we're embarking on. Um, uh, for example, on Saturday, um, we had the opportunity to go in uh, so that myself uh, and uh, Damaris Cook, who is my co-presenter in this, uh, in this venture, um, we got to see uh, BT Sport filming score to see how that's made um, and uh, how uh, and then Damaris and I had the opportunity to do a little bit of a, a tester session. And actually, that was a really, really good opportunity for us to start to show actually where interpreters need to be, how we need to incorporate interpreters. And it's, you know, it's very clear that, um, you know, that this is something that needs more thinking about, about where where interpreters can be so that they're visible for us and so that we're able to to conduct interviews because you know it's maintaining sight lines for us is is really really important that I think that the way that we went through that the way we were able to have those conversations and to have that discussion is just indicative of of how two-way and how open um this process has been um for Damaris and myself and and also with BT Sport you know it's been it's been fantastic Uh, what what is what was your most vivid football memory Ah, uh, yeah, this is an easy one. So, uh, yeah, so uh, year six, uh, uh, back in primary school, um, went to uh, the Isle of Wight. And the last night of the trip was the, it coincided with the Champions League final, Liverpool AC Milan in Istanbul. Um, we were sent to to bed officially um, at eight o'clock, but we begged our teachers to get, <laughs> to be able to watch it on TV. Uh, obviously, we saw AC Milan go up, uh, 3-0 and thought it was all she wrote and then the the infamous comeback uh, which sent us into raptures yeah uh, yeah that's the memory I just think it's quite interesting that Rolf <laughs> got his job on Merit whereas you and Manny was just the old boy network jobs for the boys so congratulations Rolf can I ask Manny about seriously but sort of barriers that you have faced or that you felt that you faced in in getting to where you've got well um I've had several people um, tell me that uh, because I can't see, uh, I should forget about journalism altogether, never mind sports. Um, I, when I was freelancing in sport, I tried to um, get a few shifts here and there, and I was told, well, you can't use this, you can't use that. So, I mean, how are you going to do it? But, I mean, that you know, that's what we get, disabled people, every day from everyone. Uh, you know the message is that and it's not you know it's not um, shouted out from across the road or anything like that but the message in the way that people interact with me is that um, well because you can't see and we can you're less capable you're less competent than we are how can you do anything how can you dress yourself how can you feed yourself Um, there was there was one guy who um, once uh, asked me if I if I had a woman to come in to do my washing up so uh well so when when you have, when you have that every single day uh it doesn't really affect you that much for people to say well i don't think you should be a journalist also i didn't have a plan b i've never had a plan b it was this or i don't know piano tuning or basket weaving or something <laughs> um so even if someone did say that to me which they did um i thought well i mean I'm sorry, but uh, I haven't got any other thing, anything else I want to do. So, um, like it or not, I'm going to stick at it. Um, Ralph, I just wonder if those experiences echo with your with yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I think this is a... Uh, I, I mean, I, I'd like to actually, on, on the back of that, um, I'd like to ask Manny a question myself, if, that's, if, I, if I may be so bold. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, how in terms of your in terms of your experience in your career, do you ever have experiences of imposter syndrome, or have you ever felt like that you've you've been put in a position um, on you know as a token gesture? I mean, because this is you know this is something that um, can be hap- it can happen to to deaf people at times, you know. And and do you do you really feel that there's a long term you know the long term um, durability? Um, or uh, have you ever felt like have you ever felt like uh, you've been put in a position as a tokenist, or, or people have just tried to tick a box? I once had a girlfriend who I, I'm very lucky that um, with my job for the World Service, I've uh, travelled to um, many major events and covered a lot of football around the world. And I had this girlfriend once who asked me um, if um, if I thought that um, the BBC paid for this uh, just to be nice and to <laughs> and to give me uh, and to give me you know a bit of respite, <laughs> I suppose I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I don't I've never felt like a token um, because when I started um, the you know the the, the zeitgeist of um, of diversity wasn't really uh, apparent. Um, wasn't wasn't a thing um, as it is now. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I did a video for BBC Sport um, trying to p- promote it to uh, other disabled people. Um, so no, I've I don't think I've been a token uh, imposter syndrome. Yes, absolutely. I mean, for the for the reasons um, that were outlined right at the start, because uh, bottom line is, I've uh, I've never seen a football match. I've never seen. Um, you know the the geometry of a pep team or uh, the tactical shift of moving players five yards to the left or three yards back that changes a game um, so I have that disadvantage but I make up for that by trying to have as much knowledge as my tiny brain can 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 manage to keep hold of so uh you know i might not be able to see what's happened but uh i can i can i can appreciate the what's happened and i can still ask um you know reasonable questions uh based on what's happened but yeah absolutely i pretty much every every day i feel an imposter syndrome so do i if it <laughs> makes any difference. Um, I, I think it's really important to, to mention that there are actually i think the industry sports media is in my opinion doing a better job of being inclusive of people with disabilities there are actually more people working in sports media with disabilities than you will actually know i don't think it's actually fair for me to name those individuals but there are a lot of presenters there are a lot of producers there are a lot of people working in this industry with disabilities and I think that that is increasing and my second point would be it's really interesting hearing um, you know Rolf and Manny there talk about their experiences working in in this space because you know and, and Rolf I think mentions that the phrase their imposter syndrome as someone myself with a very big mouth and I'm very very confident I understand again my privilege that I can work in this industry and acquire certain experiences because people don't have a perception of me before they even meet or speak to me in a way that someone with a stick or in a wheelchair or with a visible disability, they may have that that placed upon them and therefore it's maybe harder for them to feel comfortable or to thrive in this industry. Whereas I, I can I can be the person I am because people don't know that I've got one leg. Um, it's not really a question, it's just an, ob- an observation um, of the differences of people that work in this space. 
I mean, five, five, ten pods in, Jordan, and they certainly had an opinion of you. Um, that that is <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, Rolf, you off air had an interesting point, which was about Football Weekly, which was about the fact that if you're deaf, you can't access this podcast. Like a deaf person could not hear what we are doing right now. There's no transcript of this pod, right? So if you're deaf, you can't be part of the Football Weekly family. We we want to be for everyone, and we're clearly failing there. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think, um, I mean, deafness is is a spectrum. Uh, I mean, with uh, wearing a cochlear implant, I can hear reasonably well, um, but I think what we really what we really need to do is be targeting those with least access, uh, because if we can satisfy their requirements, then you're much more likely you you're pretty much guaranteed to to meet the requirements of of, of everyone else on the spectrum. One thing is about um, having access to music. Spotify, for example, adding access to lyrics, that's a game changer. And it's, it's such a small technical addition, but it, make, it makes a massive magnitude of difference. So, you know, whether, you know, like having to go through that process of going, making that change though, going through the, 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 the towers, you know, Spotify towers, um, and making making all of that work, and uh, you know, whether whether for something like this as well, you know, as a as a you know, as a podcast, uh, having to go through all of those those processes, and I can empathise with that because I work in banking and I understand that you know there's there are processes uh, to go through, but um, the footballing community is massive. Um, uh, you know, there's so many people in society who love football, and the deaf community is no different. And and just to be able to engage with all of the you know all of the speculation that's going on in the transfer markets, uh, to talk about the whys and wherefores of uh, of of the results at the weekend, um, all of the stuff that's happening you know particularly at the moment with Man City and all of that all of that conjecture and the 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 twos and fro's of 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 those of those particular cases, um, these are conversations that, that the deaf community is, is currently excluded from. And it, and it just doesn't feel like that's, that's right. That doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Rolf, how, how pivotal is your relationship with your uh, interpreter? Like your t- interpreter is Adrian. We can see him. He's the voice that we can hear. If you don't like him or if you don't like how he is presenting your words, like that, that seems really, Im- that, and you're talking to a, an audience who, are listening who can hear that feels really important to me yeah absolutely and that's a that's a huge concern that was a huge concern when i turned up um for the uh, for the bt sport and ee new signing um casting day and interview i talked about having to uh commentate and and give some punditry on two video clips i was talking to two hearing people and two deaf people who are on the panel the deaf people on the panel, I wasn't concerned about because I was signing with them. Um, but, you know, we, there were two very senior people, um, you know, uh, from BT Sport. And I knew that those people were going to be the ones that would make the ultimate decision. Um, and I knew that if I wasn't, if, if the interpreter wasn't able to capture who I am and, and capture how I'm able to really articulate myself in, in British Sign Language... I, I went in there well prepared um, to use my voice and interject and if, if I felt I needed to. But when I saw that Adrian was the interpreter on the casting day, I, I was very comfortable because um, Adrian and I have worked together before um, in deaf charity meetings that, that I've attended. Um, uh, but you're absolutely right in, in raising that point. You know, um, uh, it was there were, uh, in the early stages of the process, um, it was only Adrian who was coming 
um, to interpret for myself and Damaris. And none of us felt that that was really right um, going forwards for a male interpreter to be um, the voice, as it were, of uh, of Damaris. So now now we're working with a with with Adrian and with a female interpreter just to make sure that both of us, both of the interpreters and both of the both of us as presenters are able to really feel like we're we, we can work together and 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 so that our voices as presenters are conveyed appropriately it's a very interesting point because one of the things i haven't told you is how i actually uh, know what's going on in the matches and uh, that is that uh, and this is you know when i'm working i have someone with me in the stadium and um they you know they sort of commentate for me but usually i i ask them specific questions about things like formation and how was that goal scored etc etc uh pretty much everyone who has done that with me uh has not been a football fan in fact they wouldn't watch football match unless they were with me in the stadium and that that is a that is a downside because um you know you I, you can't entirely trust what they say because you know that they don't watch football very often so what that you know they don't see what you want them to see necessarily all the time the chemistry really is more important i mean if i if i was with someone who i absolutely hated yeah but who understood football uh you know immensely well it wouldn't work so well because i need them to guide me to and from interviews around mix zones um do everything else in addition to the match the match is usually i mean you know it's just a small part of the overall trip so it's a balancing act really i mean ideally what you want is someone who you get on well with really well and who has the uh, football understanding of uh, Guardiola? But I haven't met that person yet. <laughs> um, Manny, do you do you feel like a pioneer? No, 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 I don't. I, um, I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just like you and everyone else in this industry, just hustling and um, trying to, trying to, you know, uh, cling on to little piece of wood that I've got that ke- that keeps me afloat. You know, I try and I try and help where I can. But a lot of people don't know that I'm blind. I, you know, I don't uh, introduce world football and say, welcome to the program. I manage as me. I'm blind, you know. So a lot of people don't even realise um, until it comes up because, you know, I'm on the radio. Why would they? Max, um, Manny says there he, he needs someone he gets on well with, with the football understanding of Guardiola. And that's kind of what you have in me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think you appreciate it. <laughs> I did want to ask the same question to Rolf, actually. I know it's sort of uh, perhaps at the start of your career, but do you feel like you are breaking back down barriers doing what you're doing? Yeah, I think, I mean, just linking there with with what with what um manny is saying and jordan actually i think there's there's a there's a link to what you were saying earlier as well um i mean with 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 invisible dis- with invisible disabilities um that we have you know i mean yeah, manny you don't you don't uh, openly broadcast that you're blind jordan you, you know it's not immediately apparent that that um you've got one leg and 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 for I, and i don't broadcast the fact that i'm deaf because when i with my speaking english voice it's it's relatively clear um i can get through the day without necessarily re- people realizing that i'm deaf and and then people don't really feel the need to to make uh, accommodations on that basis but for my parents who are very profoundly deaf and who do not have a speaking voice 
um, then it's it's so important for them to make the you know to to make sure that people are making the effort uh, up front. Um, so if I if I pretend to be hearing, for instance, then it means people never you know never then are, are given the opportunity to make that effort. And I think um, you know that yeah, there, there's a perception painted perhaps that all deaf people somehow can't you know don't have a voice you know don't don't have a speaking voice you know that just present in one particular way um i mean there's a you know, just one uh one instance i met a person and engaged with them very well and was able to speak with them and then i told them at the end of the day i was deaf and then they went oh but you don't look deaf <laughs> i think it's really really good in uh, i i think it's really great that that you know that, that this initiative is has been set up by bt sport and ee because it, it creates that platform for us to to demonstrate that representation um you know and it's and it's very important that you know we're not we're, we're not the we're not in this industry because we're deaf or because we're blind or, or or whatever disability that we have but but the skills that we can really contribute and and the ways that we can um add value uh rolf thanks so much for your time really appreciate you coming on thank you very much for having me manny i, I know barry would like you to tell some story of uh, me being, you know, a reprobate at sixth form, but we all know how what a massive square I was. So you you have nothing, right? No, I got nothing on him. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, lovely to speak to you. Cheers, Max. Manny Jasmine there uh, from the BBC World Service. Rob Tutin from BT Sport. Uh, Jordan, thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Barry. Cheers. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.